I want to welcome everyone today and just another exciting time to be in the kingdom of God. I know it's not such a fun time to be in the world, but it's a great time to be in the kingdom of God. You know why? Because if you're a believer, that means you're a difference maker. And what I've been talking to you the past couple weeks is about how to be a difference maker during difficult times. How to be a difference maker during difficult times. You know, that's a big part of why we exist as a church. The reason we exist as a church, number one, is to belong, to be loved just as we are, believe in Jesus and his word, become a fully transformed disciple of Christ, and to build what? Build the kingdom. How do we do that? Through being difference makers. And I believe that God has anointed you for such a time as this to be a difference maker. And I'm going to talk to you today and pick up from my heart where I left off last week. As I came in to minister to you, uh, the Holy Spirit just apprehended me and said, give, you know, I was praying, Lord, I want to give them what they need. And I thought I had what you needed. And he apprehended me and I sat in my office for about 30 minutes and God began to challenge me. He said, they need what you needed. And I was very open with you last week. I've been open with our church on occasion throughout these last 10 to 11 years about what I went through. You know, whenever we came here 21 years ago, almost 21 now, 20 years ago, Pastor Steph and I at that time with our only child, Parker, who had just turned one uh, from Columbus, Ohio, an amazing ministry there, War Harvest Church and Pastor Rod Parsley. And uh, we were very fortunate to be on that staff for nine years and be leaders, and I was a church growth and ministry executive and all that stuff, and it was awesome to serve the kingdom there. And when God called us to come here to Lexington, we only knew one family, and half of that family had never heard me preach, so we didn't know if they were going to attend or not. But Steph and I rented a warehouse uh, and formed a church and rented a warehouse over on Alexandria Drive. Uh, and whenever we rented that little warehouse, it used to be a bingo hall, actually. It's in behind a shopping center the Dahar Shopping Center over there. And it was a unique little place. And we spent over $60,000 of our life savings to renovate it and get it ready for you. During that time, within about nine months, we'd grown so quickly. We'd broken 200 on Sunday morning and nearly 200 on our midweek within about six months. We were desperately looking for a building. We found a building, purchased our first building for $1.2 million, and we were nine months old. And God had us on a fast track. As we were breaking 500, we were in multiple services, out of parking, and we began to look for property. And during that time, uh, we found property just outside of Lexington, south of Lexington, in the edge of Nicholasville. And we found the property we're in today. We bought 19 acres for $1.9 million and built this 52,000-seat sanctuary and church facility on it. We moved into this facility just before our sixth anniversary. We had already given a million dollars away to missions. We had already seen many come to Christ, and we, were, we had already planted uh, two churches in India, a church in Kiev, Ukraine, and, and a church in eastern Kentucky at the time, one church at that time. God had been moving in a quick way, but what was wild was as we came through that time, guys, uh, it took about an extra six months, about four months to get our building completed. We had to change builders. I had to come over and see that it was done. It was just a very stressful time for me. It was over budget. And it was right at the peak of the economy, just booming, booming. 
And then once we got into this building, a 7.8 million project is a big project for a church of any size. And we're not part of a denomination. We're, we're an interdenominational independent ministry that's, uh, that, that's Beth Harvest Church. And so in that time, what was wild is just all the pressure on myself and our leadership and our teams. But God was growing the church, and we almost doubled when we moved into the building. And it seemed great, but it meant we had to be more prepared as leaders. There was a lot of stress. We did okay. But all of a sudden, within a year, the economy crashed. Man, remember when everything crashed in 07? I mean, it was wild. I mean, businesses closing, stock market closed for two and three days at a time, uh, all the bailouts and all the things that were going on with the economy was just treacherous. And for us, it was detrimental because 10 of our top business, businesses and church people that gave and tithed out of their businesses, eight of them had either closed or were nearly closed and could barely give anything. Our parishioners, they were here. Our members were here. But the problem was they, many of them, about a third of them, had lost their jobs or taken pay cuts or were very fearful. And it was a difficult time. And during that time, my beautiful mom uh, was battling cancer, and she passed away. Within a month from the economy crash, and my mom passed away, I had been running hard for years before I got here, Steph and I had, and then when we got here, it had been a fast six-year run. And we just had two great meetings to celebrate our sixth anniversary. We had Jesse DePlantis preaching one night, and Dr. Bill Winston preaching the next, and then the next week, all of this stuff happened. Our income immediately dropped over 30% and continued to go down, but our attendance went up. And you say, well, why are you sharing that with us now? I want to talk to you today. If you're going to truly be a difference maker during difficult times, you have to be a person who trusts God. And I know in our life now, and we look at all the chaos going on around us, it may be a challenge for you to trust God. But the bottom line is, that's what the kingdom of God is all about. And during that time, I pushed through and we got to the point as a ministry to save the church because we were afraid we were fearful of losing it with the, at that time a huge payment and a young church in its infancy. But God got us through. And a few years later, I didn't realize the wear and tear on myself, but I'd, I'd moved into a place of depression. And I'm not the kind of person that gets depressed. That's not me, not part of my family or any of that. But man, I, I was full-blown depressed and didn't even know what depression was. Only one thing worse than being depressed is being depressed and not knowing you're depressed. But my beautiful wife, who's our partner in ministry, life, my best friend in the world, she finally just told me one day, said, honey, you've been preaching and teaching and building leaders and working and serving, and you don't even realize it. But I believe you're burnt out. I just believe you're not yourself. And, and I said, what do you mean? And I began to think about it. All I did was drive from the church to the house, the house to the church. That's all I did. No hobbies or nothing. And I had emotionally, physically, and even spiritually worn myself down. So we prayed about it and reached out to some folks. And I got some help with an amazing man and his wife in Colorado, Colorado. I went out there for a week, and it began to transform my life. And I shared with you last week what I learned in that. And what I learned was that I had father issues. I had things built up in me from childhood of trying to prove myself and trying to perform where my father had passed away when I was three months old. And 
My mom, with an eighth-grade education, worked three jobs as a waitress because there was 10 kids. At that time, there was, I think, seven home. Uh, and she was just trying to find a way. She eventually bought one of the little restaurants, and we lived in the back. And she worked so hard and made a great life for us. And she was both our mother and our father. And what an amazing woman of God, an amazing woman in general, an amazing mother. And I truly knew that she loved me unconditionally. She was my grace. I mean, if the whole world fell through, I knew I could knock on mom's door and I could go and sit in that big rocker in her living room and know that I was in the house of grace. I was in a place of unconditional love, love with no conditions and no limits and no barriers. But going through all that, I discovered that I trust my mother more than I trusted God. Whoa, whoa, preacher, you're, 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 you, at this time I'd been pastoring, I'd been preaching the gospel full time as a pastoral, pastoral role for 20 years, 19 years at the time. You say, how could you build a church like this and the team and all this stuff and We've had blind eyes, deaf ears. Even in the last year, we've had a blind eye open right here on this platform. We've had deaf ears on, in a Sunday morning service. Backs healed. We've, had, we've seen sugar diabetes leave a person's body in the last six months. We've seen miracles. We've seen tens of thousands, of well over 10,000 salvations. We've seen a lot of great things here. And you say, how could you be depressed? You see, people didn't know I was depressed. People didn't, I didn't even know I was depressed I was just so miserable, and, and I, I got to the point where I just didn't have any feelings anymore. I didn't have any emotions. You see, when I would even get close to something like that, I could go hang out with mom for a while, and she'd cheer me up or just sit there and just hang out with me, and I knew I had grace. I knew I had love. But because she had been my mother and father and a spiritual mentor as well, I didn't realize how much I depended on her. You see, a lot of times in our life, there's people in our lives that we depend on more than God. Or maybe you depend on your career more than God or your education more than God or the love you have for your own children or family more than you depend on God. But friend, faith is simply this, knowing and trusting God. It's the basics. It's the elementary. And if I know him, and the word hypnosis in the Greek means to impregnate or to have relationship with intimacy, means that if I'm if I know him as Christ is talking about knowing him, I'm intimate with him, and I trust him. That means I trust his person and his personality. I don't just trust him that he can give me stuff and share his attributes, but I trust him as Abba. The word Abba, Jesus called uh, his heavenly father, his heavenly father, his Lord, his father, and Abba. The word Abba in the Latin means dada where we get our word daddy from. And in the intimate times when the children came and sat with Jesus and other times he would pray and he would pray out Abba, Father. He was saying, Daddy, Father. Daddy, God. You see, I knew Jesus as God, as Heavenly Father, as Lord and Savior, as King of Kings, but I didn't know him as Daddy. And I didn't understand the Father's love. But through this time of pressure and through this messy time where I felt just undone and weak and, and just naked, I just felt like, man, there's no one ever going to call me son again. My dad was gone. My mom was gone. And I just had to get to the place where I had to trust God the way Jesus taught us to trust him. 
What are you talking about? Well, before I get into this a little further, and I trust this is helping you, you probably need to, you know, text and share this message right now and get folks online because I'm telling you, if you got people that are disconnected, hurting, or questioning God right now, they need to hear what I got to say for the next 30 minutes. The scripture that we have focused on for 2020 is built off of last year where we said this year would be a quantum leap year of supernatural advancement through clarity, growth, and vitality. And we've been seeing that up to the point of this economy crashing, all this stuff going on with the COVID-19. And we certainly pray for all of our first responders and pray for all the families and all those on the front line, but also those that are home, those, those that are in a place of depression or addiction or fear, those that are in a place of loneliness, those that are in a place of worried about, will I have a job? Will I be able to pay for my car, my insurance, my home? Will I be able to feed my kids and clothe them? So I'm praying for everyone today. And I'm putting my trust out, not just for me and my house, but for you and your house. We've had people join in our brought this, this, the services now. We used to have about 1,000 views on a Sunday. Last Sunday alone was over 2,000 views. That means uh, people watching from one device. There's three and a half, uh, average of three and a half people in a home in America. So you're looking at at least three people average watching this. That means that about 6,000 people were watching Sunday's message. And I believe that it's going to be more than that this Sunday because you need what I got to say. You need what I got to say. As I coach other people, business leaders, pastors, staffs, and so on, one of the things that I always tell them, you always want a great mentor. You want multiple mentors through books, through podcasts, through uh, coaching, live coaching, and so on. But you got to realize also you're your own mentor as well. Obviously, Jesus is the ultimate mentor. But you're your own mentor. What does that mean? I have been through some stuff in my life, and so have you. And you got to figure out, how did you get through it? How did you make it? Maybe you blew it and messed it up, and you had to learn two or three things to get out of that mess, whatever that situation was. But I want you to have confidence in the fact that you're alive and breathing, so that means you have hope today. But the key is, who do you trust in? Do you trust in the government, your, your pastor, your spouse, your friends, your parents? Do you trust in your job, your education? Who, who or what are you trusting in? Because true peace that comes not from our own understanding is when we know and trust God. So out of this, and we're seeing God move in miraculous ways in a lot of ways, and we're doing double the ministry we were doing before COVID-19, the scripture God gave us for this year is Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. It says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all. See, now all that we ask or think. Now I want you to think about this for just a second. That's what the scripture says about it but do you trust that he's doing that for you or will do that for you? Above all, we can ask or think. So it's up to us to ask the right questions. It's up to us to ask and understand and know what to seek the Father for so we can have our thinking right. What? Ask or think what according to the power that works for in us. Your answer is in you. It's in Jesus, but his spirit's in you. So his word is in you. When you became born again, you became a new creature. Old things passed away, the Bible says. All things become new. The new you. And until you understand your identity as a son or daughter of God, that you're not just a believer or just some Christian, a 
one that follows Christ, but you're truly blood-bought, you're family. You have received his inheritance. You're his little brother, his little sister. We're God's kids. We're kingdom kids. Until you understand that, you're not going to tap into all that our inheritance has for us. That power, that inheritance is working in you, but it comes through faith, and faith is trust. Verse 21 says, To him, the Father, what be glory where? In the church. Glory, doxa, made visible, made seen. Forever and ever, amen. So who is able to manifest his glory? Who is able to work in us to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves? That's right, Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And for all generations. So who's he doing this through? He's doing it through you and I, his believers. Who? His difference makers. So he is able to do above all we can exceedingly think or imagine. And it comes from you, inside you, with the Holy Spirit trusting him that he is who he says he is and he would do what he said he would do. But that brings me to the, where I want to go today. But during these messy, unclear times that you and I are living in today, we feel one of our greatest needs is clarity. I need to know how tomorrow's going to turn out next week, next month, this year, next year. I need clarity in my health. I need clarity in my finances. I need clarity with my family. I need clarity with my business or my job. I need clarity in my life. But I want to challenge you. You don't really need clarity. You need trust. Because when you have trust, even the messy stuff becomes clear to you. So once we receive trust, I know there was a gentleman that was visiting Mother Teresa before she went home to be with the Lord. And it was in the death, one of the death clinics where they just brought people to die. And he was from the United States, and he was there, and he, he said, will you pray for me? And she said, my son, what do you want me to pray for? And he said, pray that I get clarity. I'm thousands of miles from home. I feel I'm called to be a missionary. I just need clarity. She said, no, I refuse to pray for clarity. He said, what do you mean you refuse to pray for clarity? Don't you have clarity? You've given your whole life to this and worked death camps and all the, with the orphanages and those with leprosy and you vowed to poverty and you're one of the greatest servants other than Jesus has ever been on the planet. Surely you have clarity. She said, no, my son, I have trust. Wow. Because when you have trust, clarity comes. When I have trust, when I trust God that the steps of a righteous person are ordered of the Lord, that God has good things for me and God has a plan for me, when I know and trust him as daddy, I know he's going to do good things for me. So during these messy times, it's so easy to pray for things that should be second or third or fourth on our list. You see, when we think about it like this, when the shadow of Jesus' cross, when it falls on our lives, whenever we're under the shadow of his suffering, such as failure, rejection, unemployment, sickness, betrayal, depression, addiction, or even the loss of a loved one. When we're under the shadow of his cross, when we're going through his suffering, more than clarity, we need trust. 
When we're, de- when we're deaf to everything but our own pain, you can't hear anything but your own pain, your own mind, your own heartbeat. When the world around us seems uncertain, it seems hostile, it's messy, and it seems to be against us. In those times, it's easy for you to do what I did about 11 years ago. How could a loving God allow this or permit this to happen? How could a loving God permit COVID-19? How could a loving God permit me to lose my job, no fault of my own or my company's fault, but because everything had to shut down? How could a loving God permit me to be in the kind of pain and anguish of worrying about feeding my kids? How could a loving God allow a family member to die with this influenza or any other means that maybe they passed away during this season? How could a loving God permit these things to happen? Now, during these times, it's easy to sow seeds of distrust. You remember when I opened the message today and I said, remember where ultimate grace is for me, what was for me, was when I knocked on mom's door and I went into her living room and sat in that big rocking chair in her living room, actually a big lazy boy that rocked. I felt trust. I felt heard, even if I didn't say a word. I felt loved without ever whimpering I had a need because I knew my mother and I trusted her. And man, when I lost her and the economy crashed and I was feeling like many of you are today, am I going to lose everything I worked for my whole life? Am I going to lose what all these other people work with me? Because I don't own this. This is a non-for-profit. This is something we've all invested and given our lives to. Am I going to fail everyone? God, how could you let us be the church, the city on the hill, supposed to be the faith church and the healing church and the place of prosperity? How, how could you let us lose everything? that we all worked for. How could you, God, permit this to happen? You see, friend, I didn't realize I'm a faith guy and always was, and I studied faith, preached faith, and demonstrated faith. But the greatest faith is not just the things you perform. The greatest faith is trust. Trusting God when the miracle doesn't happen. Trusting God when the breakthrough doesn't happen. Trusting God even when it's messy, even when it's painful. Trusting that he will get you through one way or another and find the goodness in whatever it is. Now, I'm not a big guy on, oh, the more I suffer, the more I'm like Jesus. No, really, the more you suffer, the more you find out you're not like Jesus. (laughs) I'll just be truthful with you. The more I I thought I was a lot like Jesus until I got into suffering I'd never experienced before. And when I got into that deep suffering I'd never experienced, I'd went through some financial crisis with companies I'd owned before I was uh, in ministry and before I had a family. But man, when you have a family and go through financial crisis, it's a hundredfold worse, right? And all of us know that and that pressure. And what I found that in those times under the shadow of the cross, going through unemployment, going through loss of life, loss of business, falling back maybe into addiction or whatever it is, that's when you really find out you're not like Jesus as much as you thought you were. But it's easy to fix. It simply is turn your eyes off your crisis, give your heart totally to him, and choose to trust. You say, well, preacher, that sounds easy. That sounds, it's not easy. It's a process. And I started that process with you last week. You see, unwavering trust is a 
rare and precious commodity because it demands courage to believe God even when unbelief is all around you. And in those times when we ask how could a loving God permit X, Y, Z to happen, it requires you and I to have courage to trust in a loving God no matter what's happening to us or around us. I mean, think back at first century Palestine during Jesus' time. The number one prayer, the number one goal, the number one thing for all the religious people, whether they were Pharisees or Sadducees or whoever, was what? The coming of the kingdom of God. That's what they taught. That's what they dreamt of. And still today, even those that don't recognize it are still praying for it to come. And we know it came through Jesus. And they were praying for that. And, and that's all the discussion was, was about the coming of the kingdom of God. But think about it. They had the kingdom of God with them. Jesus, the Son of God. And not only that, he said to some of them on one occasion, the kingdom of God is near you. The kingdom of God is in you even now. He was saying, when you're a believer, my kingdom is in you. The difference it takes to make you be a difference maker is in you. Now, here's what's crazy. Even though trust is the number one commodity, the number one principle in the kingdom of God, because without trust, you can't be saved. What? We're saved by grace through trust. We're saved by grace through faith, right? And faith is knowing and trusting God. But what's interesting, Jesus never asked his disciples even his original 11 and 12, even though he never asked them to trust him. No, you know what? He demanded it. He didn't give them a choice. He said in John's gospel that, uh, John 14, 1, he said it bluntly and he demanded, demanded it. Trust in God and trust in me. We don't have a choice, friends. We, we trust him with our salvation, maybe even healing of your body you got to trust Him with every area. And when you're going through a difficult time and you're going through a messy time, you're going through a time of uncertainty and a time with a lack of clarity, you need some tools to get through. And that's what I discovered when I went away to Colorado Springs for a week with this amazing man of God and his wife. He began to help me to see what I was true, the invisible fight that I was battling. And that invisible fight was not trusting God especially when we barely escaped the church going under, and especially during that same time losing my mom, even though I know she's in a great cloud of witnesses. I preach funerals. I preached hundreds of them. And I know that God only has good things for me, but that was still my mama, right? Amen, just like you when it's your mama. And during that time going through that, I had, my toolbox was empty. I used every tool I had. I used commitment. I used uh, stirring my passion up. I used learning the word, memorizing it, quoting it, practicing it. I, re, I used the ability that I had to get as much faith as I could. I, I used it through giving to others and serving to others and laying my life down, but it wasn't enough. I'm just going to tell you, no gift, no amount of works, no talent, no good intention will ever replace trust. That's what this thing's all about. 
Faith is simply, and this was taught to me by one of my grandfathers of faith, Dr. Lester Summerall, who's been with the Lord for a long time. He said, faith in its simplest form is knowing and trusting God. I'd like to add to it, it's knowing and trusting Abba. It's knowing and trusting Daddy. So during this time, as we're seeking Him, the Bible says as we pray, what we, we, we call on the Lord, and as we call on the Lord, it says He'll hear us, and if we seek Him, we'll find Him. But there's an interesting principle there in that Scripture where he's teaching us, and I hit it a, a few moments last week, and it was uh, when I told you that um, I felt that God was distant and absent from me. And one of the tools that I learned when I went away with this gentleman was, was to begin to really write out what I was feeling, write out what I was disappointed in and what I was happy with. And, you know, I was afraid to do that. I was afraid to really let God know how I feel. But then as I began to realize, he already not only knows me, he knows the number of hairs on my head. That's what Matthew's gospel says. He not only knows my heart, but Hebrews 4.12 says he knows the very intentions thereof, of my heart. So he already knows what I think. He knows what I fear. He knows what I have faith in, what I have doubt in. He knows where I love. He knows where I, where I dislike or even maybe hate. He knows all of my strengths. He knows all of my weaknesses. He knows my good stuff, and he knows my junk. Isn't it funny how we try to hide certain aspects in the shadows from God? But he sees it all because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when I began to realize and I made this statement, God, I believe you're absent from my life. God, I believe you're distant from me. And then I was challenged to find Scripture what God would say back to me. And here's a scripture I came up with, Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. And it says, it says, for I know the thoughts that you think toward, that I think towards you. So God wants you and I to know in a messy time, in a crisis time, <clears throat> in a time when you need clarity, when you don't have the answer or the means, and you're seeking him, when you seek him, you got to realize, guys, what does he think about me? What does God, well, we can do the colloquial thing, right? You know, for God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son. And that's true. Not to judge us, but to save us, right? That's true. But is it just a thought or is it real right here? If it's real right here, it'll be trustworthy. You'll trust it. It says, what are the thoughts that I think towards you? And here's what it is. Here's the thoughts. Here's what he tells us. He's not going to let you wonder about what he thinks says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. God says, I'm never thinking evil of you. Jesus made it clear, right? In John's gospel, 10.10, says Satan comes but to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give life and to give life more abundantly. And here God tells us himself, Abba, Daddy, in Jeremiah 29.11, he said, look, I, I here's what I think towards you. I think of peace. And not evil. I think of you having a future and you having hope. And you know why he did it and why he wanted us to know it and why he spoke it through his prophet Jeremiah? He says it this way. Then, and I want you to wherever you're sitting, say then. Then you will do what? Call upon me. God knew if you and I didn't trust him in messy times, we wouldn't call on him. You know, it's easy to pray for God in the good times. It's easy to, 
pray for God when a tragedy first happens. But when we don't see the answer come soon enough or we don't see that tragedy turn around or that problem work out, it gets more and more difficult. Why? Because the trust meter is running down in our lives. He said, but if you always go back, no matter what the enemy's doing in your life, what's going on in the world or your body or even your mind, he said, if you always just remember this, remember what I think toward you. I think of good and peace and not evil, and I think of future and hope for you. Wow. So no matter what's going on, when I say, how can a loving God allow something like this or permit something like this to happen in the earth or in my family or in my life? I got to go back and say, I may not understand it. I may, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, that, or 13, uh, 1 or 2, it says that uh, we now know in part and we see in part. But in that day, what? When we get to heaven, we'll know in its fullness. So there's things now that are dim. <clears throat> there's things now we don't understand. But that's not a time to reduce the trust meter. That's the time to trust God more. Because the more you trust him, the more peace you'll have, the more hope you'll have, and the better future you'll have. No matter how it looks around you, if you will simply trust him, trust him more than the mess, trust him more than the darkness or the uncertainty and the unclarity around your life. And he said, what you will call on me, and go and pray to me. Now remember, prayer is communing, having communion with God, and conversing, conversation with God. Communing and conversing with, asking. That means making petition and a request. Asking and then receiving from God. So I'm communing, communicating, having conversation with. I'm asking, making a request, and then I'm receiving. And when I do that, that shows that I trust God that's why it's believing in those things which you can't even see is faith, 1 Corinthians tells us. That's why Hebrews 11, 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So we can know and trust God even through what we can't see. And we can even pray it like this, Lord, I pray that this too will pass and it will, this will happen and I want to make a petition of what I believe will happen. But if it doesn't happen the way I think it should, that means you have a better way and I trust you that I'll see someday the better way and the victory out of what I'm going through even at this very moment. And he said, look what will happen. When we call upon him and pray, he said, I will listen to you. Man, that's what my mom was so good at. Sometimes she didn't say hardly anything. She just smiled, rocked, and I'd talk, but she listened. And I knew if she listened, she heard. And that means sometimes you got to pray messy prayers. And sometimes you just got to call things the way they are and ask God to help you with God. Like the father, when his son was being tossed to and fro in the fire and he was possessed and the disciples were commissioned to lay hands on the sick and cast out devils. The first 70, remember, and they went out and they were like, people were getting set free and delivered and healed. But this man's son, they multiple disciples prayed for him and he didn't get healed. And he finally brought him to the master, Jesus. He said, Master, why is my son not healed? Your disciples, other people were healed. They're, they're set free. Why not my son? He, he, he falls and throws himself in the fire and, 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 and all the torment that's in his life. The father was so afraid his son would never make it. 
And Jesus said, have faith. And he said, well, Father, can you help? He said, have, he said, do you believe? He said, Father, I believe, but can you help my unbelief? Wow, what a prayer. Can you help my unbelief? Maybe that's your prayer through COVID-19. How, how's this job going to manifest? How are you going to make up for lost time? How's your body going to be healed? And how's your family going to be walking in victory again? God, I, I don't totally believe right now, but would you please, Father, help my unbelief? I mean, we come to him, we should know him and trust him. You say, well, you know, it's more of a formal relationship I have with him. But Jesus said in Matthew's gospel, he said, oh, you wicked, wicked fathers, you give gifts to your sons. Why would you think my father in heaven would give serpents and stones to his sons? But he only gives good gifts. James, chapter, uh, at the end of chapter 1, says good and perfect gifts come from the Father of lights above. All good and perfect gifts. Everything good and perfect comes from Abba. Everything good and perfect comes from our Heavenly Father. But the way you access it is through trust. So make sure your trust meters up. When you're living in uncertain, messy times, you need to trust more than ever. When you, listen, sir, listen, ma'am, when you don't have the answer, trust. When you don't feel better, trust. When you feel more pain and anguish, trust. What are you trusting in? What are you trusting in? You're not only trusting in he is who he said he is. He is God. He is Lord. He is Savior. When his name is named, every name that is named, its name must bow to him. He's more than the God of authority. He's more than the God who is Lord. He is more than the God who is a Savior. You can die of a disease and be believing for healing and still go to heaven. So he's more than the God of healing. I believe the number one thing he is is the God of love. And I think when we get the love piece down, we can get the trust piece down. I knew my mom, even if she didn't have the answers and things didn't turn out like maybe I thought they would or she said they would all the time, which she's not God, it does turn out the way God says it, Right? But, but I still love, knew her love was so strong for me that I trusted her. And in good times and bad times, up and down, clear and messy. So I want to challenge you today, guys, to ask you, really, can you trust him? Can you trust this God that you don't understand how he could permit these things to happen? Can you trust him? And here's the only way you would trust him. It's not only just building your faith and getting your scriptures down and quoting. That's good. You need to do it. Praying for hours, and, and that's good. Pray. But without love, you're a tinkling symbol. Isn't that what he says in 1 Corinthians 13? Faith, hope, and love, which is charity. And he said, love is the greatest of these. And he said, you can flow in your gifts. You can speak with other tongues. You can heal the sick, cast out demons. But if you do it without love, you're nothing but a tinkling symbol. Don't just be a, a sound that's just out there clinging and clanging. Be a difference maker. Be a lover. God was a lover. And everything our trust is built on, for God so loved the world that he gave, that he gave, that he gave. And he continues to give because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever.
And he said, when you do that, you will seek me. He said, I'll listen to you. And then what will happen? Then he said, you'll seek me and you'll find me when you search for me with all your heart. What's he talking about? He's talking about when you search him with your affection, your love, your trust. Let me give you one scripture and then we're going to pray. I thought I would get further along today. But here's another scripture that's dear to my heart. And it has to do with love. I was really wrestling with, does he love me? Like, God, do you really love me? Do you really care for me? And I, I really reflected on, reflected on even uh, the prodigal son. I'm like, I don't feel like you love me like the, prodigal, the, the father loved his prodigal son. I, I feel far away from you. I feel disconnected. I don't feel you're my daddy. But then in Galatians 4, 6 and 7, it says, Because you are his sons, and we are, right? His sons and daughters. God sent the spirit of his son in our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Daddy, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are God's child, God has also made you an heir. Can you hate your child? Unfortunately, some people can, and how sad that is, but God cannot. He's not a God of hate. He's a God of love. And then in Luke 15, 24, the whole passage, I had to put this verse in for me. Not only is he my daddy, my Abba, and I'm an heir, but he celebrates me every day. In Luke 15, 24, I even wrote my name in it. For this son of mine, Marion, was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. So they began to celebrate. I think there's people in your life that would like to celebrate you. Not celebrate you, do you get over your depression or your addiction or your anger, or whatever it is you're dealing with. I think they would like to celebrate you because you're found. I think they'd like to celebrate you because you come home. That's why you're saying, well, I've never been a Christian. I've never prayed. Yeah, but that's why you've always felt homeless inside. You have a hole. You have a void in your heart right now. And what's sad, many Christians that serve God a year, 5, 10, 15, 20, or 30 years, you have a hole in your heart, and it's called trust. But the first hole that's got to be filled is love. And we got to know that he knows our name and that he hears us and that he loves us with no conditions. And here's the scripture that really broke me free in 1 John 4, 10 and 19. When it said, when I really said, I love you, when God wrote to me, I love you, this is what he said. This is love. Not that we loved God. You know, in messy, hard times, sometimes it's difficult to love God. Man, when you lose a loved one, sometimes it's difficult. Maybe when you go bankrupt and your family's out on the streets, it may be difficult to, to love God at that moment. You, you like him, but you just don't know if you love him, right? He said, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, that he loved us so much he sent his son. Now look at verse 19, drop down there. We love, why? Because he first loved us. That took the pressure off of me. Seeking him, praying, finding him, faith. It took the pressure off 
of performance. I simply, I didn't have to preach better, know more of the word, be kinder to people, be more holy or any of that. I just had to allow his love to baptize me. His love to flow over my mind and over my heart. His love to flow over my good stuff and my bad stuff. My beautiful stuff and my ugly stuff. My clear stuff and my messy stuff. How do I trust God, you might say? Even though I don't understand how he could permit these things to happen, how can I trust God? You don't even have to love him to trust him. But one requirement is necessary. Allow him to love you just the way you are. Allow him to love you just the way you are because you belong. Jesus died for everyone, not just chosen ones. Allow him to love you just the way you are with no conditions, no performance. And when you go into prayer and gratitude, just receive his love. And before you know it, your trust meter is going to go out the roof. Faith is knowing and trusting God. But the tricky part is, if we don't receive his love, we'll never know him. If we don't receive his love, we'll never truly trust him. Let me pray with you right now. Maybe you're sitting there in your family room or your basement or somewhere and you got your family there. Just grab hands with your family right now. Maybe get on your knees or whatever. Grab hands with them and just pray this prayer with me. Maybe you're far away from Christ or maybe you've never known him as Lord or Savior. Today, the Bible says today is the day of salvation and tomorrow's promise to no man, no one, no person. But this is your day right now. This is your promise. How about just surrendering? The old song, I surrender all, right? How about just surrendering to Jesus? Just like Fontes in the, the video you saw, man, I'm so proud of him ministering to the family and to have a couple of their family members come to Christ. Man, that's what, it's, that's what this thing's all about. How about you? Are you ready to fill that hole in your heart? Are you ready to come home? Are you ready to come to Christ? I want to pray first for you, and then we're going to pray for everyone else. So say this prayer with me. Dear Heavenly Father, Daddy, forgive me of my sin, my messy stuff. I just give it to you. I can't carry it. It's too heavy. The burden's too great. Jesus, I know you rose from the dead. You're at the right hand of the Father. Jesus, come and live in my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Bring me into your family. I receive your inheritance as a child of God now. I'm born again. I'm blood-bought in Jesus' name. Man, you need to celebrate right now. You need to just jump up. And I know you feel a weight come off you. You probably have tears in your eyes and joy. Or maybe you're just kind of calm right now. But you're trying to understand. But I promise you now, just let that work on you. Then for the rest of us, that maybe we don't understand a God that's supposed to love us, that can permit these things to happen. But we're still hanging in there with God. I just want to pray a prayer that we all get a greater revelation of his love this week, that we see his love in things we haven't seen it before and that we feel it and we have that impression and we know. 
Grab hands with someone in your, in your house or wherever you're at and let's pray this prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son for me. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you, Father, for having hope and a future for me. Thank you that when I call on you, you hear me. And when I seek you, I find you. Sometimes, Daddy, I don't understand when I do find you. And I don't understand when I hear you. And I don't understand when I don't hear you. And it's messy. And I'm fearful. And I'm lonely. And I'm broken. And I need to know your love. I need to fill it like a blanket right now. Jesus, let me feel your love. Abba, Daddy, release your love through your Holy Spirit from the top of my head, the bottom of my feet. Baptize me, immerse me with a baptism of love now to increase my trust and my peace in you. And I give you praise in Jesus' name. Man, I don't know about you. I got... I felt his love. I got a little choked up there. He never fails to, to, to be there for us when we seek him. I believe this is going to be one of the greatest weeks of your life. I really do, friend. I believe if you would just focus on that. And I'll be online several times this week, maybe even later today, just talking to you on Facebook Live or on our webpage. And there'll be other people from Bethel, but we want to hear from you. And they'll put in the comments there how to connect. We want to connect with you. We'll, we'll come visit you. We'll talk to you on the phone. We'll stand six feet away. We'll do whatever it takes. We want to be there for you. If you're in another state, we have people watching from all different, a lot of different states and different areas. And we want to call you. We want to speak with you. We want to be there for you. We'd just love to know you. We don't want you going through this alone. If you can't tell someone, tell us. And they'll let you know how you can connect with us. Or if you want us to connect with you. I sure do love you. Be loving, folks. Be praying. And uh, release that same love the Father gives you to those that are hurting around you. Until next week, I love you. I'll see you then.